Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specialises in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, light-hearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are looking at how to cope with grief when going through fertility treatment and trying to conceive. We do know this is a really sensitive topic, but it's incredibly important and actually, I think, far more complicated than people even realise. I'm always fascinated how you define things, Maria. So with your psychology head on, can you first off define what is grief? I think that's a really important question. And the kind of definition that you will get when you when you look at this is that grief is a complicated and emotional response to loss. And what I find so interesting about that is it doesn't actually mention death, which is probably what most people associate with grief. It uses the word specifically loss. And it's more than just a sadness. It's more than just having a bad day. It's a deep sorrow. And then the knock-on of that is it can have severe consequences on your day-to-day life and on your day-to-day behaviour. So in and of itself, it's a very interesting idea. It is a very complicated feeling. And I, as many people know that listen to our show regularly, I have been absolutely blessed in the fertility arena. I didn't have to try particularly hard in order to get my girls. And thankfully, I, I haven't suffered baby loss, but I completely respect the community for what they have to endure firstly and I'm, I'm I'm so very grateful that I didn't have to endure it you know but everyone gets touched by grief it's a process mm-hmm. it's absolutely a process and if you go and google it they'll say the seven stages you know the denial stage the angry stage you know it's, it's all out there but the way the individual I know when we, we lost my dad and we lost him when we were very young but myself and my brother went off in two completely different directions <laughs> based on the same set of circumstances. Yeah, it's a tough one. And the one thing for sure is the road is long. It is. And that's the other thing that you have to accept with grief. There's no thinking your way out of it. There's no even feeling your way out of it. It's just time. And I know people that approach you all the time go, oh my God, time heals and other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's a sentiment for a reason. It's a piece of advice for a reason. And it's often advice that you don't want to receive at the time. But at least when you're in the outside world and everyone knows about your grief, they're respectful of that. What I'm deeply concerned about and deeply aware of is that many people within this community don't get any support because it's not spoken about. I am so glad that you have raised this as a point. I think you've explained it really, really beautifully. It's like if it was a if it was a physical condition, if you had a broken leg and you're on crutches, people move out the way, they hold the door for you, they let you sit down. Basically, anything to do with mental health, and I would put grief under that category, is invisible. And they can see that you, sometimes you can't see anything on a person. You can't see the grief. Sometimes you can see people are a bit upset, but you might know what it is. And the thing with this fertility journey, whether it's from month one of trying 
all the way through to we've been trying for 10 years and we've been through multiple rounds of IVF. There are so many grief points on this journey that I think take people by surprise when they're going through it themselves, but also that people on the outside world would never consider. And that's not me being critical of people kind of outside to this. It's just that why would you? Why would you be aware? You know, an easy example that I know we'll get into, but is when your period arrives, when you're trying to conceive, you know, that's a massive deal for people that are trying to have a baby. So these grief points, I think, are are worth really exploring and talking about because they're a massive part of the journey. And when we were preparing for the show, you were talking about this idea of grief points. I thought it's so fascinating because you listen to so many kind stories. You must know every grief point at this stage. You must have been <laughs> exposed to every grief point. Can you explain what you think the trajectory of grief points are within the fertility journey? Oh, my. How long have you got? I think <laughs> sit down, people. Right. Unfortunately, I think there are so many potential grief points here. I will definitely share with you the ones that I think crop up regularly, but I'd also like to say everybody is different. And obviously these grief points, as I'm calling them, will affect people differently. And if there are any obvious ones that I don't talk about, you know, please do feel free to get in touch with me after the show and just say this is another thing that I find difficult because I think it's really important to share. The very first thing that a lot of people talk about, and actually I was chatting to someone today who has unexplained infertility, so they ovulate regularly. Well, there will be issues somewhere, but they haven't found any issues. So every month they try and conceive. They've been trying for four years. Every month their period arrives. This is the very first grief point, and this is without even getting into things like IVF, ICSI, IUI. The process of we're going to start trying, period arrives, because When the period arrives, it isn't really about the period. It's about the loss of hope, the loss of the what if, the loss of the baby that you've been imagining in your mind in that kind of dreaded two-week wait. The fine, right, we're going to have to go again. That takes a huge amount of energy as well. And it's really difficult being in the two-week wait. I've been there many a time and I've shared many times that, you know, you find yourself Googling things like I have a sore toe, can I be pregnant? I share that because, I mean, it is a little bit funny, but it's also because it shows you, you know, I am a logical, pragmatic woman. I can see now <laughs> that that's, that's really not the sanest of things to, to Google, but I was delighted to find out that a sore toe could indeed mean I was pregnant. I'm sharing it to show that that's where your mental state ends up when you are going through the two week wait. And it's a huge amount of mental energy. So the period turning up, I would say, is one of the first kind of grief points along the way. You know, sometimes from cycle one, you don't know what you're getting into yet. You're excited and everyone tells you if you have sex, you get pregnant. And oh, I'm not pregnant. Oh, oh, that's interesting. So for me, it's from day one, really, it can happen. As you venture further into your TCC journey, do you start grieving things like self-identity? Oh, I should be able to, do you know, I'm obviously not a woman. Is that also a grief point? Absolutely. And just to take like half a step backwards before I get to that, what you've just said quite often happens when you get to the point of a diagnosis of infertility. People say, hey, let's have a baby. They start trying to get pregnant. In the UK, if, if you're not pregnant, Within a year or six months, depending on your age, you then go to the doctor. So you've probably been grieving along the way if you've been really hopeful to have a baby. But the next key point for a lot of people is quite often you go to the doctor and you receive this diagnosis of infertility. Now, for a lot of people, that's massive. 
because you're kind of going, I'm sorry, what? I'm, I'm what now? What does that even mean? And all I can hope for anyone in this situation is that you were dealt with kindness and love and empathy because I have heard all sorts. I've heard, oh, um, yeah, you're infertile. You're going to need IVF. And then people are sitting in the doctor's surgery on the Tuesday morning on a break from work going, I'm sorry, pardon, what's happening here? To a much more loving and caring and understanding response. And to any medics that are listening, please go for the latter, as I'm sure you would if you're listening to the show. But that diagnosis is a massive one. And we could probably talk about this all day because you probably are on, you know, your lunch break or you've you've taken the afternoon off work. You're maybe going back in later. You've just had the diagnosis of infertility. You are bombarded with all of this information. And then what you go back into work and you do your, your sales meeting. It's massive. You're grieving. You're trying to figure out what to do. You've got the emotional side of hang on a minute. Does this not mean I'm a woman anymore? Am I ever going to be a mum? Have I let my partner down? to then the practical side of it with, right, how the hell am I going to do this? How am I going to pay for this? Do I get funding on the NHS? Do I tell my family? I mean, it's massive. We could talk sure. about just this one point for sure. hours. Maybe we will one day, but... It is the death of a fundamental self-identity, isn't it? That's the one, yeah. It's yeah. like, it's not even, maybe even the woman thing is the fact that generations have gone before me. I remember... Mm-hmm. I talked to a guy that I worked with and his wife had gone through IVF in order to conceive. They had actually moved house around the UK to try and get within catchment. I think she got pregnant on the first round of IVF, which was fantastic. But I remember him saying there is generations with his name dating back into time. Found me very proud of the fact that there was a John Smith first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And he said in a moment of half jest, apparently it stops with me. I remember thinking there's a lot there of pain and and expectation, but also you think you're just letting the slide down as well as everything else. And then you've got people, you know, asking you, you've been married for six months. Are you pregnant yet? Mm, You know, you've been in a relationship for a long time. Is there a bun in the oven? And you're kind of going, oh, my God, generations. And obviously, Roshan, you're Irish and we talk about our family heritage a lot. There's Italian Catholic in my family. And um, oof, I mean, Those babies are respected. When you walk down the aisle and get married, it's like, oh my God, doesn't she look fantastic on the way back? It's like, when are you going to get pregnant? (laughs) On the way back. (laughs) You turn and face the congregation and boom, there's expectation in those eyes. And there absolutely is. You can feel it. So far, I've talked about an internal grief. You're grieving at the period point and then you're grieving at the diagnosis point. When you start with IVF, you know that it's an embryo and it's been picked. It's a good embryo. So that must be particularly tough. Oh my, I mean, you have been through all of the initial stages of IVF. You are taking the meds, you are taking the medication into work and hiding the medication. I was on um, a support group the other day and someone was literally asking the question, what do I tell work? to allow me to take my shots that I need for IVF when I'm in the work day when I don't want to tell them, where do I keep my meds? So this was on one of the the support groups and it's a 100% legitimate question. So you've been through all of this. Then we hope that you get the lovely collection of eggs. And I guess actually it's worth saying there can be a grief point there. If you've done stims and if you've taken all the meds and you've done all the things and then you get very few eggs from your retrieval. Some people get 
no eggs from their retrieval. I mean, whew, what another massive grief point there. And again, you've got, well, hang on a minute, I've taken the damn meds, I've done all the damn things and my body still isn't making eggs. What more can I do? Massive grief point there. Again, am I not a woman? My ovaries aren't doing the things they're supposed to do. So you might even have a grief point before you get to even implantation of the embryo. Let's say you do get the eggs. Brilliant. Let's say you've got some lovely sperm and you get to the embryo point. Yeah. Then you can witness on a screen the embryo being transplanted into your uterus. This is a sperm and an egg who have come together in a joyful, joyful union. And there are cells there. There are human cells there. You watch it on a screen. You are then what we call in the community popo, pregnant until proven otherwise. And that is massive because that's how people view themselves. And I totally understand why after they've had the embryo transfer, you're pregnant until proven otherwise. What a headspace to be in. A hundred percent. And then... If you are considering yourself pregnant until proven otherwise, the proven otherwise is, of course, the period, which we very much hope does not show herself. So you are in the headspace of pregnant until proven otherwise. Unfortunately for some people, period appears. So what, now you're no longer pregnant? The language around it is, again, really important, but really complicated. And that's another massive grief point for people, more so than people realise. And again, what if you're in work? I remember when I was on a, a trip to Russia, you know, it seems random, but go with me. I was doing my teacher training, uh, involved a trip to Russia because we were learning about psychology and sociology. And the, we were all adults, but the, the trip leader, I remember going to the toilet. As you know, Roisin, women in toilets, they like to chat. We'd all come out of our stalls, you know, washing our hands. And I remember her coming out being absolutely devastated, but trying to hold it all together. Her period arrived and we thought, right, fine. But what we didn't know was she'd been going through IVF. Mm. It must have been absolutely horrendous to her and with a little bit of insight now, hats off to her because she pulled her shit together and she carried on. She now does have her child, I would like to say, but it wasn't on that round. Did you keep in touch? We we do and she's on Facebook. She's an awesome woman. She has one child and she worked her ass off together. Well done her. Mm. I'm always amazed at the resilience of people in this space. This is relentless. It's on a monthly basis. I always say it's like the worst kind of fucking performance review. If you're lucky, it comes every 28 days. There's a hope, there's a chance, there's an opportunity, mm. and then it's taken away. Mm-hmm. And on and on it, on it goes. And then, of course, the pinnacle, I suppose, is if you don't get your period and you do get that positive pregnancy test and then you lose that baby, that has to be just... It's like incremental. It's like incremental grief. It's grief layered upon grief, upon grief, upon grief, upon grief. I don't know how anyone can deal with it at that stage. I just don't know how anyone comes back from it. Oftentimes people have been through, what, four years, five years, 10 years. And to lose a baby at that point. It's horrendous. And people say time heals. I am... hopeful of that. But I think the other one that people do say is the grief doesn't go, you just learn to live with it. That would be the space I am in personally at the minute in terms of it's hard for me to talk about this. And like Roshan, we know each other really well and I'm very comfortable talking to you about this, but this is, this is hard for me to talk about. And I'm not a super emotional person, but it is tough and we've had baby loss awareness week. And I was, I was chatting to someone this morning and that's tough because it's, it's, 
just much more prominent. It's harder to push it down, you know, and I'm good at pushing stuff down, but it turns out that's not the healthy thing to do, Roisin. So now that I am letting the feelings come up, which is much healthier, but it's good for me, it's harder, much harder. And it's a hard conversation to have. So I'm of the opinion in the space I'm in, you just manage to cope with it better. Maybe maybe when I'm a bit further into the, the grief journey, things will get easier, but I don't know. I know how personally difficult this is for you. And I'm a great advocate for bottling that shit up, you know. <laughs> just, this is why we're friends, Roisin, but we're growing together. Just, just allow oh. it to become cancerous <laughs> in your gut, you know, just like, like old school, old school dealing oh. with trauma. Push that shit down. You have really gone on a journey. You have. You've One, you've put yourself in the space where you have to talk about this. And this is mm-hmm. difficult. Once you had your boys Goodbye. running away, <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone would have begrudged you that. But also... The opening up of the story around grief in the nicest possible way. We know that people lurk in this community. They sit and they read all the posts and they sit in forums and quiet and they're on webinars and you know, behind blank screens. And because there's so much shame around the whole area of fertility and grief. So how did you come out, for want of a better word? I This pauses me thinking, how did I come out with my grief? I was a lurker for a long time. I started chatting to people in the community. And in some ways, the anonymity that can keep you hidden is also the anonymity that can bring you out, if that makes sense, because there is so much shame. And for the record, there absolutely shouldn't be, but there is. So I think people not knowing who I was in some ways made it easier for me to chat when I was having a particularly bad day. So the anonymity can be really helpful to begin with. And then again, as you build trust, it's little steps, little steps, little steps. It's, it is that first conversation you have with someone can be really difficult. And it might just be, this sounds really basic, but it might just be liking a post. Because when you like a post, it is a public action. So even just liking a post about baby loss, obviously I'm not liking baby loss, but that's how social media works. In some ways that's you acknowledging to people, I understand where you're coming from. I've been there too. So even just that action might not seem like a small thing to people, but it can be a massive step for people in the community liking a post around infertility. This is why people, have, by the way, have different uh, social media accounts. <laughs> this is why, <laughs> you know, you have the one that Auntie Mary's in and then you have the other one. You don't want to be liking the baby loss post and the one that Auntie Mary's in. Because you don't Auntie want Mary's... Auntie Mary come and asking questions. That's you the don't. thing. You don't. No harm. I'm sure she's really yeah. well-intentioned, but then you don't want to have you know. to sit down and have the chat. Or no. you don't want to have the, Auntie Mary knows it, she's looking at me in a pitiful way. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's even worse, mm-hmm. I can assure you. Did you come out first to strangers or to family or friends? Like, obviously, your, your partner knew, but, like, was it, did you become more comfortable in the lurking and liking space than you did with the real three-dimensional human? Oof, I mean, Roisin, you know me well enough. I'm, I'm, I found it easier coming out to people I didn't know first about my grief. I think that makes sense. I think that makes total sense. It it does for someone like me. I am now much better talking about it, but I've also been to therapy, you know, which we will come on to in terms of how we cope with this. Therapy is massive and we will come on to that. For me, it was easier to come out to people in the community. The difficulty is, though, I lost a pregnancy at 16 weeks and by that point, a lot of people know that you're pregnant. So actually, one of the problems is 
you don't really have a choice over not telling people. And that's really difficult because you've got to cope with the loss, but you've also then got to cope with the you know, shit, now I've got to have time off work. Well, what the hell do I tell work? What do I do? Just come back and say, hey, I'm not pregnant anymore. Mm -hmm. It's really, really hard. So your question is a good question. Like, how did I talk about this? But in some ways, it isn't really a choice for some people. It depends on the stage of the loss. It depends on things like, did I tell anybody? Was I showing? Like, these are all things that mean sometimes you don't have any control over that anyway. Yeah, yeah. And that in itself is an absolute trauma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So at any stage of these grief points, people need support. Yeah. Oh, so we my need goodness. to arm ourselves with the information of well, what best can support me in this situation? Because the TTC journey is often long, often arduous and full of grief. And we're about exposing this, talking about this, and at least in any way making this even marginally better or or help in any way that we can so again the psychology head has to go back (laughs) on because there is ways that have you know humans have experienced grief for as long as there's been humans so Mm -hmm. there must be some tactics and some processes that we can kind of put in place that are going to help soften for me therapy is massive. I remember thinking I was okay. Full support therapy. I tell everyone that I've been to therapy because it's massively important. And I just cried. And I thought I'd been okay. I went in, she did the classic, how are you? <laughs> you know, in the in the therapy way. That's all <laughs> she had to say. I went to therapy and I saw the box of tissues and I remember in my head scoffing. <laughs> A bit like, oh, we won't oh, be reading those things. I mean, the woman had to bulk by for the next... <laughs> For the next session for me, and I didn't experience baby loss. You know, but you think, oh, you think, oh, look, I've got a thing. Look, it's a thing. It's just a thing. I just need to go. In, I need to go in and talk about this thing. Mm-hmm. You can get rid of those tissues. Thank you very much. Because this is going to be more like a business meeting. And then the next <laughs> moment, you've just cleared out the storage cupboard. That was one hundred percent the approach that I had. I was like, yeah, this is just a thing that I'm just going to tick off my to do list, and um, closure will happen, and then I'll just be able to crack on with my life. And that is how I approach therapy until she went, and how are you? And I mean, boom, that was that. I cannot overemphasize how important therapy is, but the getting the type of therapy, getting the therapist that's right for you. You know, I've had a couple of therapists. I've actually had different types of therapy for different types of things because therapy can work in lots of different ways. You have the kind of official grief counseling therapy. Classically, it's very much a talk therapy. And it is a space for you to discuss how you're feeling, discuss your experiences maybe just cry in a safe space for a while. And the idea is the therapist, this is another phrase I've learned on this journey, will hold that space for you. They will provide you with a safe space where you can do all the things that maybe you can't do somewhere else for whatever reason. So you do have the kind of classic talk therapy. You can also have more very practical therapies though, things like CBT. One of the things I love about CBT is it's cognitive behaviour therapy. So it looks at the patterns that you think in. And everybody thinks in patterns. Humans work in patterns, they think in patterns. And what CBT does is it tries to change negative thought patterns you have. Now, that's not to say it would never be, don't be ridiculous, you're not grieving. That's not what this is. It would be more to do with 
you know, one of the things that happens when you're on the, the trying to conceive journey is, and this very, very much happened to me, is that you lose the ability to imagine anything good is going to happen. And this knocked me for six. And genuinely, I still struggle with that today. It's something I'm actually working on this year because I'm very, very consciously aware of this. But it's so difficult. It's so, so difficult because you cannot see any good happening anywhere. And I'm a positive person and I was I was in the weeds on this. That could maybe help with trying to reframe your thought process relating to loss. But it's a big one. I call that sandbagging joy. Ooh, what does that mean? Okay, so you know when you sandbag, so it's like if you think the flood's coming because you don't want to let it in. Mm. And I'm kind of guilty of this without the grief thing. And I actually had to change my thinking on sandbagging joy. So basically what you're thinking is there can be no goodness can come in because these bad things keep happening. So so I'm going to assume that all bad things are going to happen. And it's because I opened myself up to, yay, I'm pregnant. Yeah. After years of trying, loss, trauma, which is what we were talking about at the beginning of this show, you're not coming in fresh. You are brave enough to say, okay, and I'm taking a big breath and I didn't actually do that on purpose because that's how it feels. You go, whew, okay, maybe I'm going to let a little bit of joy in here. Sure, sure. And, and then this boom, is where sandbagging joy comes in. So basically what you were doing is I don't want to expect any joy. I do not want to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. I do not want to be disappointed in my life. So therefore I'm going to sandbag the joy. I'm not going to let, even if great stuff is happening, I'm not going to let it in because ultimately it's just going to lead to disappointment. And I had a chat, honestly, this complete sidebar, but it's the same thing with my daughter about this. My oldest sandbags joy naturally because she doesn't want to be disappointed. She wasn't getting excited. We were going to Lapland, sitting there stoic, and we were going on holidays, and she was sitting there stoic. And I was like, Why is this kid so stoic? I said to her, and I said, Anyone out there, if badness is going to happen, it's going to happen, regardless if you let that joy in or not. You might as well have the joy. Even you saying that to me now, Roisin, and I know I can say this to you honestly, and you won't get offended by this. That made me a little bit angry, and I'm really surprised. And I, I did not expect that to happen. That has just made me really emotional and I did not see that coming because, oh, why did that happen? When you said that just there. Did you think that I was being trite and frivolous with emotion? Oh, I might, I might need to, I'm going back to therapy, people. <laughs> Boom, right, here we go. This is a genuine thing that's just happened. I got really angry and I, and I got really emotional. I could feel it behind my eyes because I think it's just the trauma of grief and loss is so hard. Yeah. That to be honest, Roshan, I just wanted to tell you to piss off. Yeah. <laughs> And that, and I know that you're not in any way offended by this. And I know it's a safe space for me to share that. But I really just wanted to tell you to piss off because I was like, I'm not doing that again. I don't care what your pragmatic, logical sure, sayings sure, are. Sure. I know that, but I don't care. I'm not doing it anyway. And that is what just happened. Oh, yeah, because, because what I'm asking you to do and what I asked my oldest to do is to be vulnerable. That's what mm. I was requesting of you and... I'm declining your request. Thank you, Roisin. No, that's a no from me. (laughs) Without the vulnerability, you don't get the full range of emotion. But I still want to tell you to piss off with your logic and your reasoning, Roisin. (laughs) I take it under advisement. (laughs) But you're not wrong. You're right. This is the thing with grief and why we don't talk about it. Mm. It's like walking through a field with landmines. And you don't even know where you've planted yours. And mm. someone like me comes trundling through the field. <laughs> but that's not a reason not to talk about it. It's just, again, it's that idea of trauma 
lass. We all have those moments where you're thinking, why do I want to whip that person's face off right now? Mm-hmm. There's something in me that is really offended by that. And this is no word of a lie. I've actually been looking at third type therapy that I wanted to talk about today, which is EMDR therapy. And what's interesting is I remember Amber Rizzo somewhere, I don't know where, maybe it was on our show, maybe it was somewhere else. She talked about this. This is a trauma focused therapy and it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. This is trauma focused is to help people process the traumatic aspects of their grief because grief and trauma unfortunately go hand in hand and it's particularly useful for people who experience a sudden loss you know deeply distressing loss and again unfortunately with trying to conceive and pregnancy loss you can go to an appointment one week and you've got a heartbeat and you go back the next week and there isn't And this is where I believe, I haven't been through it myself, but I believe that EMDR can be particularly helpful for people who, you know, have trauma around loss. How does EMDR work? It's a kind of multi-stage process. Um, You will work very closely with your therapist and they will take you through, from what I understand, a bit of a journey. They will take you through several stages. They will, of course, assess your current symptoms just to figure out kind of where you are, what your baseline is. They should assess if you're ready for EMDR because you do have to be careful with the type of therapy you have and make sure you're actually ready to kind of go on that journey. They will have a look at how your past has shaped where you are at the minute and they will hopefully explain why you're experiencing your your current symptoms. What you will have to do, which will be difficult for people, which is why you have to be as ready as you can be, is you will have to look at the traumatic memories that you're dealing with. The reason it's called EMDR in a lot of ways is because what the therapist will try and do is access these traumatic memories by basically stimulating both hemispheres of your brain. So you've got two hemispheres left and right. The idea is if the trauma is in your subconscious mind, which is the mind that's there, but you don't necessarily know about, they try and allow you to access what's in your subconscious mind so you can deal with these memories that are having an effect on your day-to-day behavior. So there's a lot to it, but it's supposed to be very helpful for people who are ready and in the right space to undertake this. This is a big undertaking. It requires a lot of effort might be for some people, might not be for others. Yeah, definitely worth the research. I'm also conscious about the people that are so in shame, so in their grief that they can barely say to loved ones, like, where did those people go? The joy of technology these days is that you can now access online therapy. And particularly since COVID, which we haven't talked about, but is a whole other area of trauma and loss when it comes to trying to conceive. Online therapy is now massive. And this is a fantastic way for you to access therapy without having to sit opposite an actual human being. Now, I would like to say for people who are a bit sceptical of online therapy, I've done a mix, partly because of COVID, with my last therapist. And I thought it would be really weird. We just did it over Zoom. And it was actually really good. For me, it worked really, really well. Like you've said, it was a funny one. The physical distance in some ways made it easier for me to talk, even though I could still see them. There will be so many individual differences here, but for me, that actually worked really well. What it also means, and this is one of the things I love about online therapy, when you start getting into it, you get people that specialise, like you've just said, in particular areas of therapy. Now, it might be that if you live in a rural village somewhere in beautiful rural England, you know, they don't have an EMDR specialist. 
But there is a really cool one. Maybe they're in America. With online therapy, actually, it doesn't matter. So it also allows you to access a particular specialist if you think you will get on well with that person, but you can't access them physically. So online therapy is definitely something that people could look at. Finding the right therapist, someone that clicks with you. When they speak to you, you believe them, you trust them, you can accept what they say. And believe me, it, it's a process. It takes a while to find your person. It does. And on that one, this is going to sound like a funny thing to say, but it's a genuine thing. I was watching this show, I think it's This Is Us, um, which is incredibly emotional. And they have um, a black male character in the show, one of the leads, and he goes to therapy and he swaps his therapy because the first therapist he went to was a white woman and he ends up going to a black man. But it's very important to find someone that you can relate to. And that might also include who looks like you. And I think that's a massively important part of the the therapeutic community is finding someone who maybe looks like you and that you can relate to. And this is why for any of the male listeners, it might be that you would rather go to a male therapist. You might not, you might not mind, but for the record, there are a lot of excellent male therapists out there as well. And within the fertility space, we will have the glorious Tracy Sainsbury coming to us in a couple of weeks. And she is an expert in this mm. field. So regardless of what we've just said over the last 30 minutes, she really is someone that you should tune in and listen to because she has beyond years of experience. I think the most important thing that we've taken from this is that that this is a process that will require endurance and it's always better to have a team than not have a team. I know most people rely very much on their partners, but even having a third party that has just that objectivity and that you can full bore tell them what you think that's what they're there for and they can as Maria said hold that space for you which is something that I think we all need sometimes and talking about holding space for you we have uh, our Q&A coming up next week so therefore we need your questions we've already had a few already in but of course you can get in touch with Maria on her socials please get in touch and we would love to help Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors or psychologists. We strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor or psychologist before beginning any exercise, nutrition or psychological therapy. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.